Hi, welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. This is our online book club where we discuss one or sometimes two chapters of a book that is related to child development, speech language pathology, uh, education. So uh, my good friend Mike from Grown Out Therapy and I do this every Monday night. And so we are very excited uh, that you're able to join us. So let's see here. I think we've got our friends who are going to be joining us. Let's see if this is going to work. Hello, hello. There's one friend. How are you, Mike? I'm, I'm doing well. How about those Chiefs, huh? Oh, yeah. I'm sporting it tonight. Sporting That's it right. Tonight. Big win for them. Absolutely. Hey, Linda, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Hi, Linda. Hello. So, yes, we are so honored and blessed to have the author of our current book, who has been able to join us almost every week, maybe just not the first. I don't Maybe she was. Mm -hmm. Were you with us the first week? I can't remember. I think the first couple of weeks I was not with you. Yeah, I think you were. Yeah, in the room. Yes. So um, our book, in case you are new to Chapter Chat uh, or have just kind of stumbled upon us, is called The Declarative Language Handbook. And we are discussing chapters 11 and 12 tonight. We are almost ready to wrap this book up. Um, we'll, we'll have, I think, maybe, I can't remember if we have one or two more weeks after this. But um, it has been just an amazing book. And I have to tell you, as you can tell, I'm not in my, in my home office. I am in a teeny tiny town in Nebraska. And I am doing a consultation with a school district here. So you get this hotel room. This is the best I can do here um, when, I, when I travel. But I talked about the declarative language handbook for about the last 30 minutes of um, my time wow. with these teachers today. And they all ordered it. And I'm hoping they're going to go and listen to the podcast and or, you know, watch our, our um, previously recorded episodes of this because the challenging uh, behaviors that we're seeing in this classroom, I think uh, some of them can be rectified with declarative language. So I am so over the moon, Linda. I just so excited. So excited. We got some great chapters tonight, too. This is uh, we do. So, so we we're do. really, you know, we talked a lot about declarative language, what it is, and uh, sort of how to do it. Now we're getting into the real uh, the real parent coaching aspect of mm -hmm, it. Uh, mm -hmm. so this is so this is really great. So we're doing 11 and 12 tonight, correct? Right. And chapter 11 yep. is called troubleshooting tips. So I was really kind of looking forward to this because declarative language, when you first start using it, doesn't necessarily always work every time. And so it's nice to know that it's not like, you know, that you don't give up on it just because it maybe doesn't work the first time. So I appreciate, appreciate this chapter. For anyone who is new, who's never joined us before, declarative language is the opposite of imperative language. So imperative language is where you ask questions, um, you give commands. So it pretty much puts the child on the spot and it very much demands a response. And that response is, is either correct or incorrect. So the child is either compliant or non-compliant. So it really is a high pressure um, type of communication with the child. Declarative language, on the other hand, is commenting. It is just simply making a statement. So instead of what color is that, you say, oh, you have the blue ball. You know, so it's much mm -hmm. different. It is a totally different and a, and a pressure-free um, kind of approach. So um, let's talk about, about troubleshooting tips. What do you think, Mike? What stood out uh, for you in this, in this chapter 11? So this is uh, so this is such a great chapter for parents who are just getting into this. Uh, you know, Carrie and I talk all the time about how we have this intensive training as speech and language pathologists. Uh, we're sort of born to be doing this and have always been working with youth and working mm -hmm. with children and working mm -hmm. with families. I've been doing this my whole life. And, you know, sometimes you take our knowledge and our intuition and our ability to build rapport and read kids. Sometimes you take it for granted a little bit. And sometimes mm -hmm. when I give parent coaching, I'm not as direct and I'm not, as, I don't simplify the language as much because I just feel like so much of what I know is just common obvious. knowledge, common mm -hmm. knowledge, mm -hmm. but it isn't. Mm -hmm. And I think Linda does a great job here talking about how a lot of parents are going to go for that instant gratification, just like a lot of our students do. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, the first time you use declarative language, you expect to see this vast amount of progress. Uh, oh, I've been using declarative language for a week, but I haven't seen any changes. What's happening? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, there were a couple of times where in, in this chapter, Linda had to be like, look, 
Trust me. I got Trust me. It works. Trust me. It works. Can I give I, you another? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mike. You yeah, finished. No, finish. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to give another example from my life because I feel like every week now I have an example with my son, Aaron. So if you're new, if you don't know me, Aaron is 17. He's autistic. He's a junior in high school. And I did a post on it. So if you follow me, you read my post about chocolate cake. So it would have been yesterday's post. And Aaron doesn't like cake. Aaron has never tried cake. Aaron has no interest in cake. At his birthday, he has a chocolate chip cookie cake because he does not like cake. And so my daughter had made just one of those little eight by eight small small pans, a chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. And so somebody had cut it and taken a piece out. And so Aaron walked over and he kind of looked at it and he wrinkled his nose a little bit. And he said, um, I don't like chocolate cake, you know, something to that effect. And so I didn't say much, um, but I, I kind of looked at it and I said, you know, it kind of looks like a, a brownie. He loves brownies. He loves brownies more than life. So I said, it looks kind of like a brownie. And that's all I said. And I'm like, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be quiet. And I'm not kidding you, Linda. It was like 20, maybe 30 seconds with no response. Nothing happened. And then he goes, I think I want to try it. I about fell over. Wow. I'm like, um, Aaron tried chocolate cake. And while he said he prefers brownies better, he actually liked it. I mean, I, and I know it's cake and it's sugar and it's not healthy and blah, blah, blah. But you guys, this was a huge win. And I think had I said, do you want to try it? Do you want to try a piece of cake? He would have, because his automatic response is, yep. no, I don't, I don't like new food. I don't like yep. cake. That's what he would have said. Mm -hmm. If I would have put him on the spot, why don't you try this? No, I don't like cake. So instead I just said, oh, it looks like a brownie. And he loves brownies. So I don't know. So anyways, mm -hmm. that's my success story. Well, uh, this and what you did, just to outline it, is you supported him to pull on his episodic memory. Yeah. His yeah. similar but different um, mm -hmm. experiences, which gave him the confidence to give it a try. And you also didn't pressure him. It was an invitation. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm just giving yeah. you information that you might not know that I do. And you know how you yeah. talk about, Linda, how you invite the child through visual referencing. You're inviting them mm -hmm. with declarative language to kind of, um, you know, look at the environment. So I studied the cake, and that's when I said, oh, it looks kind of like a brownie. And then he studied the cake. Do you know what I mean? He came closer to it and kind of got down and looked at it real close. So I think by me using that declarative language, he was like, oh, I do want to check out. Like, because anything that's a brownie mm -hmm. is good in his mind. So, <laughs> yeah. So that was my little success story uh, this week. Love I it. try to. And also, I and try... also, what I love about that example is it's not about getting him to do homework. It's not about getting him to do a chore. It's about right. building mental flexibility and yeah. diversifying yeah. your experiences. Because yeah. now he knows instead of having a little bit of anxiety. Right. And you mm -hmm. said before, oh, try a piece of cake. He would have instantly said no. That fight flight response would have been instant. Absolutely. Because it's something as simple as try some cake can be a lot of pressure on kids that have yeah. mental inflexibility and right. difficulty with varied experiences. Well, and I had also made um, a, a pot of vegetable soup. Now, Aaron has never had soup in his life. So I'm like, oh, I'm on a roll. So I'm gonna try it. So I said, <laughs> Oh, this, this soup smells delicious. And so I took the lid off the crock pot. I kind of stirred it. And Aaron did. He came over and peeked at it. And he said, I don't want to try that. And I just, I just let, I mean, I didn't even really say anything because I didn't ask him to try it. But I'm like, so I don't want parents who are on here thinking, oh, if I just use declarative language, he's going to try everything in the world. It worked with cake. It didn't work with soup. Okay. So I'm not yeah. saying it works every time, but I didn't get any negative response about the soup. Like, I don't want to try it. It was just a non-response, but at least he looked at it and, you know, he just, he just kind of walked away. Yeah. So, well, yeah. he, he explored it. He was yep. in the same mm -hmm. room as it. He mm -hmm. smelled it. Yep. So and he normally pieces. won't. He normally won't. Yeah. Um, you know, come near food that it's unfamiliar. And so, yeah, I just, I, yeah. I just think it's helpful sometimes to hear, you know, some real life situations where. And it, I think um, what you did there too, that was really important is you respected his opinion regardless. You respected yep. it when he gave something a try, you respected yep. it when he didn't want to. And yep. then he, yeah, and then he forms this memory of, you know, you're someone he, he trusts to respect yep. his boundaries yep. regardless which is really important. Um, and you form that memory of him as someone who tries new things sometimes. Right, right. You sometimes. Know, like, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be every mm -hmm. time. Someone right. just asked, what if the child is oppositional? And I just have to tell you, this is what I'm here doing this consult on, is with a very oppositional child who, uh, who literally does the opposite of everything that you ask. This is why declarative language is going to make a difference, because I'm not asking him to do anything at all. And so, like, as I was watching um, 
um, you know, some of the staff interact with the, the, the student and stuff. And it was a lot of, of peppering of questions, you know, what's, you know, they're looking at a book mm -hmm. and they're asking him questions, asking him questions. And so he starts, you know, it, anyways, the behavior started. So I cannot wait to really dig into how can we, I mean, you do such a great job. I was reviewing some of the first chapters, Linda, because I was actually looking for a, a quote from you about something and where you talk about, um, you know, it's this, it's this idea of um, inviting them to just explore, you know, to, to just look around and explore. It's not about testing them and seeing how smart they are and, you know, what knowledge can they spew out. It's really about um, just building that connection. And so mm -hmm. I just, I... Mm, yeah, I and that question that, that we had before, it's, uh, she had written, what if the child likes to be oppositional? Oh, is I that what it I, said? Okay. That's what it said. So uh -huh. what, I, what I always explain to parents is no child likes to be oppositional. No, no boy wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I'm going to piss my parents off today. You know, like it's not the goal of theirs to be oppositional. It becomes a lot of what Linda talks about in this chapter of, of, of habits, of processing. Uh, sometimes they're successful with negative attention seeking, right. successful with learned helplessness. So mm -hmm. what do human beings do? They go with what works. Right, uh, but in right. terms of liking to be oppositional, uh, no one, you know, it's not something that kids are doing, you know, purposefully. They're right. doing it to get a response, a specific response. Right. And using now, declarative language yeah, to we'll take your thoughts and emotions about their behaviors and externalize. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know for a child if they do have oppositional defiant disorder or, you know, something like that. You know, I, I don't know enough about that. Um, but I will just say that um, for the most part, um, students do good or children do good when they can, you know, when they can do mm -hmm. good. But when they're pressured and Linda does a beautiful job of explaining this in the early chapters, they will go into fight or flight response, right? Exactly. Fight, fight or freeze. Yeah. And so yep. any child who is being in the moment. So we have to pick our battles very wisely. There is a great, um, let me tell you about the three D's. Um, there is a book that, um, that I have and they talk about, you need to pick your battles wisely um, because uh, it, it, there's a lot to be said about control and children who are oppositional, what they want is control. And so, um, and they want to, you know, they're, they're, so anyways, we want to make sure that we're giving them moments of control throughout their day. And uh, the three D's are the behaviors that we should address. If you have these, you know, oppositional behaviors, if it's dangerous, okay, if it's destructive, or if it's seriously distracting. So those are called the three Ds. So if those three Ds are happening, we do need to address the behavior. But mm -hmm. if a child is just doing something just to you know, get your goat, if you will, of just course. to irritate you, we, we really want to make sure we're not, we're not uh, feeding into that um, because that can inadvertently reinforce the behavior. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and I always think like it just, um, yeah. And it just always goes back to that fight or flight. Like the child likely feels anxiety or not competent at that mm -hmm. moment in time about something. So they um, are using a pattern that is successful in some right. way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and I love those three Ds. I haven't heard those before, but, but also what's great is you can use declarative language to address those three Ds. So the child mm -hmm. has um, more information about why you're setting the limit or right. something like right. that. Yeah, absolutely. So All now, right. So, so now we have the three Ds. <laughs> yeah. Do we remember the three P's? Ooh, from um, our previous let's book. see. From our previous book, it was purpose and play. Purpose, and... Play, and what was the third one? Play, purpose. Oh my goodness! I know, but that, that was like so good. Yeah, you, yeah, you did it was a great so post about it. I'm sure I did really a post. You did. I, did a I post remember on everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Myself. Yeah, I love yep, it. Yep. All <laughs> right. So in this chapter, <laughs> then starting on page seventy, Linda outlines, and really, this is what the chapter is about: is the four, if you will common reasons why declarative language may not be working, if you will, why the child mm -hmm. may not respond. So you use a declarative response, you pause, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds, and the child doesn't, doesn't respond. So um, let's start with processing time, Linda. And what I love is you say, I know we already talked about pacing in the last mm -hmm. chapter, and I'm going to argue that was one of the most important chapters uh, that we discussed. But yeah. talk to us a little bit, Linda, about processing time and why yeah. a child may not be responding. Right. And I want to just emphasize, you said this just a second ago, but um, always give the child the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Like they're not not replying to declarative language to be willful or stubborn right. mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's always a reason. Mm -hmm. um, and what we talked about last week is it, it, what we have to do first is just pause ourselves and observe the child in that moment for that feedback loop mm -hmm. to figure out, you know, out of these four reasons that we're kind of 
that we're going to go through, which one might it be? Right. Um, so that always comes first, like pause, observe, be present in the moment. Yep. Um, yep. You know, don't be afraid to slow down and, and take the time you need to figure it out while you're counting to 30 in your head. <laughs> exactly. Because you have so, some time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah when so, I told the staff today, count to 30, you should have seen the look mm -hmm. on their face. They're like, that's a yeah. really long time. And I'm like, yeah. that's why you need to say the ABCs in your head or, you know, you yep. need to do yeah. something because it is an extremely uncomfortable mm -hmm. amount of time to do nothing, you know, to just stand there and wait and kind of look yeah. with an anticipatory kind of like just hanging out here, waiting until right. you're ready kind of thing. So. Yeah. 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 But processing I, time. Would, oh, yeah. Yeah. I would also just add on page 69, that second paragraph, right. that is incredibly powerful. So you're talking about for the parent, the change involves their speaking style. But for your child, and this mm -hmm. is all coming back down to executive functioning, the change is getting used to the fact that you are not going to prompt, prompt them. them. So, yes. when, so, so when you are mm -hmm. a parent and you change your mindset to, I'm constantly reminding my kids, I'm constantly reminding my kids. And you start to think about prompts, levels of prompts, severity right. of prompts, and fading prompts. Mm -hmm. And you start to think about, okay, am I increasing inflexibility? Am I accommodating inflexibility? Am I uh, making them prompt dependent by overusing prompts? And mm -hmm. you write, their brain may be waiting for the prompt and it may need a little time to adjust to the leaps you were asking it to make. And that's, yep. that's executive function. We're, so talking about, we're talking about oh. independence of them, number one, using perspective taking, using mm -hmm. episodic memory, using higher level of executive functioning to get things done because they are taking your declarative language and they are taking what you say and they're put it, putting it into their heads. And that's, right. men that's mental play. And that's why it's so important that, so this is the why. Why does Linda say we need to pause? And why do we need to pause for such an extraordinary, you know, long amount of time is because we're waiting for the brain to make the adjustments because they're used mm -hmm. to you prompting them over and over. Come on, buddy. I said, I said, pick up your, you know, dirty laundry, whatever. Come on, buddy. You need to do it, buddy. Pick up your laundry. So, you know, there's no pause in between that. We just keep repeating the command um, over and over. And so by pausing and using declarative language, you're teaching the child's brain to think for itself, right? And to act and to, so what were you going to say, Linda? Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So I was going to say, um, yeah, in that time that we pause and don't add additional information, which just would give the child more to process. Yes. We're giving them that space to observe their environment. Um, Think, think about possible problem-solving opportunities, use their episodic memory, plan ahead. I know, Mike, you just said all this, but all those, we're just asking or giving their brain time and space to integrate all yep. those pieces of information. Yep. Um, yep. And if we butt in too quickly, then we interrupt that process. Um, you know, here's and something disempower I disempower the child. You know, yes. we always want to empower them. Yeah, well, I think yeah. about my son. And when he was very young and he wasn't really talking yet. And I mean, I'm talking like four or five years old. He should have been talking. Wasn't He didn't talk till he was over five years old. And uh, he really struggled just following basic commands around the home. And so I can remember like... Um, someone in the family might say, um, hey, Aaron, um, you know, bring me that book. I don't know, give some command. And if he didn't respond right away, they'd be like, hey, buddy, can you bring me that book that's on the floor over there? And so what happened is it was like when they would give him a command or say something, it was almost like you could see his brain, like, you know, the wheels turning. But then the minute they spoke, you could almost see him like stop. And it's like he had to start over and start processing mm -hmm. again. And then they would, you know, give him two seconds. And if he didn't respond, they'd say something else. And that's when he would then have a meltdown because he was like, I am still way back on that first thing you said. And now you keep adding extra information overload. over. It's overload. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. so the more yeah. people talk to my son, the more he would have meltdowns. And people were always like, oh, mm -hmm. well, you know, at school, so, oh, he's noncompliant. He won't, he won't follow directions. And I'm like, if only I'd known about declarative language back then, because yeah. I think it would have. Yeah it would have um, eliminated or at least toned down some of what they considered to be challenging behavior because I think his brain was on overload from auditory input and just constant, constant, constant. So yeah, when you from say that example too, um, yeah. I was thinking like when we are over prompting or when people get in there over prompting, like recognize that it's my anxiety. Like I'm fearful that you're not gonna do this. So I need right. to repeat it and say it again and again. Um, or presuming incompetence, like we've talked about before. Yeah. So 
it's it's the trust of the educator, the parent, the caregiver yep. in that child to just give them the time they need and trust that they'll come through. I know don't you probably be, can't see this because it's be, with the highlight. Um, anxious, yeah, yeah. But it but, says but, presume but like competence. Monitor, yeah, monitor your own anxiety in that moment. Like, are you prompting because you're worried they're not going to do it? Right. Yeah. 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 So on both pages, on page 76 and on page 78, I have written presume competence, presume competence. This one has an arrow going to it. So when we get to that page, I will talk about my very strong feelings about presuming competence. I, don't, I can't even tell you, Linda, how happy I am to hear you say that because the term you actually use that I like circled, it said, always give the child the benefit of the doubt. And that's where mm -hmm. I drew an arrow and wrote presume competence. That's what right. we need to be doing. Right. And I fear that sometimes with um, our, our struggling learners, um, we are or kids who have challenging behaviors. Our assumption is they're doing this just to irritate me, which can you imagine the thought process mm -hmm. that goes behind to be able to be a vengeful like that? I mean, it's very unlikely that they're doing it just to irritate you. There is, there is a reason that this behavior is happening. And, mm -hmm. um, Okay, let's get back to the book. So processing time is one we maybe jumped in too quickly. So that could explain why if you as a parent or an SLP or teacher say, I use declarative language, there was, he, the child did not respond. So we have to stop and ask mm -hmm. ourselves, did I pause long enough? Did I give enough processing time? So what's the second one, Linda? Uh, of your book attention. there? Attention. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I hate putting um, you on the spot. I'm like, maybe she doesn't oh, have the book no, in front of her. Oh, she's got, mul okay, she's got multiple should, books. Uh, multiple copies, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I should let Mike go first for this one because he's the ADHD. Oh, there you go. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Talk to us. Yeah, why don't you talk to us about attention? Yeah, so attention, attention is huge. And attention kind of goes back to that example you were giving of your son. So you were saying mm -hmm. he, he doesn't talk until five, right? He was he over talk. five, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. functional language. Before that, he was doing like echolalia. And no, he really, well, no, he, he had a few scripted phrases. I now understand in hindsight, like he would say, are you okay? Are you okay? And he would say yep. that probably 500 times a day. And we thought he genuinely cared if we were okay. What uh -huh. we now recognize is that was his way of probably saying, I'd like to interact with you, but he didn't have any other language really. So yep. yeah, he um, said a couple of words, like he called milk knock. Um, he, I don't even know. He maybe had five words at the most, but they weren't used very regularly. So, yeah. 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 So, you know, when you have uh, a young child on the autism spectrum, uh, who doesn't have functional language, you know, they're really thriving for that structure internally, which mm -hmm. is why they're going to go for these rote phrases, echolalia. The alphabet. He loves things. letters. The, the al alphabet. alphabet. Mm -hmm. I, have a, mm -hmm. I have a nephew who loves numbers, who like, mm -hmm. goes, is really big on numbers. Yep. You know, th it, that's really... Because uh, it provides structure. You know, exactly. Yeah. It's the structure. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what it is. And you said before, which was a beautiful statement, but it was so simple. I wish I knew about declarative language back then, because, you know, th think about that. They're, they're trying to have the structure here and they're not comfortable doing unstructured mental play, mental flexibility. And mm -hmm. the more that we could model how flexible our brains are, more about what we're wondering, more about what we're observing in the environment, that then brings the attention to that self-soothing rote memory Mm -hmm. to, okay, someone else is in this room wondering about something else, thinking mm -hmm. about something else. Mm -hmm. So it's that shift of attention from the self-soothing thought to, okay, what is somebody else wondering? What is somebody else right. noticing? What is someone thinking about me? So that's that shift of attention we're talking about. And in this chapter, uh, Linda does a great job describing attention overall. Mm -hmm. uh, let me find the page. So, and the big thing to think about is, and, and I and I tell parents this all the time, it's not about kids being unwillful. Right. You send, you send them upstairs to go clean their room. They're not unwillful to go clean their room. They just don't have the nonverbal working memory skills to picture their room being done and being able to plan backwards. Right, uh, right. So there's so many different things you can do to make sure that they have your attention because- uh, these kids can get so stuck in the self-soothing instant gratification world where you can be so clear, so loud right there, right. but they're truly not processing Paying the information, attention. comprehending it, or attending to what you're saying. Uh, yeah. So there's different strategies you give, you know, get closer to the child, you know, a proximity prompt, get closer to them, call their name, tap them on the shoulder. You know, that's one way to do it. You know, that will work for some kids, some, some not, of course. Uh, hold their attention once you've got it, once you have it, use, you know, 80% language, clear and concise, minimize distractions if you have to, 
stand in front of the TV, stand, you know, uh, ask them to put their phone down, face down for a second. Uh, there's a little, there's little things you can do. Scan and simplify the environment. Get rid of distractions, uh, and keep making repairs. You know, uh, r- repairs to make sure you have that attention. But when you have that attention, that's when you need to make sure you're using declarative language, uh, and you're using, you know, the correct amount of words. And right. you, when you have their attention, use what you've got. Yeah, on page yeah. seventy-one, number three is the one that I really, I really like this. Um, where your 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 tip is hold their attention once you've got it. But I really like the example when you say something like, "I have something important to tell me to tell you. Let me know when you're ready." So, because I, I always think about with my son when I had something to tell him, I if I just said, um, "Hand me your cup." Okay. It, it, it was like I had to, I felt like I had to repeat it over and over because there wasn't a response. But what I learned to do was to call his name first. Hey, Aaron. And then I would pause. And then once he sort of responded, if I said, give me your cup, because I got his attention first. You see what I mean? So it's kind of like mm-hmm. that idea of using that. Like I have something to tell you when you're ready, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you or whatever. You gave another example here. Let me put my eyes on. Um, or even I have something exciting to tell me to tell you, let me know when you're ready to hear it. Right. So I love that you're, mm-hmm. you're giving very specific examples of the language uh, that we can use um, in order to try to get and maintain their attention. Yeah. I can hop in now too. So yes. Yeah. Just in my experience, a lot of the time a declarative statement doesn't might not work because we haven't done what we needed to do to, adequately secure the child's attention prior to saying whatever it is that we Mm -hmm. want to say or that's important um so especially for kids who need more processing time like i always start by securing their attention calling their name tapping waiting for them to visually reference me before then adding that next piece of information Um, and what that, what that does too, is it really goes back to us honing that feedback loop. So we are going to be good observers of that child by noticing when they're ready for more information. Like that's what it's about. Like we're delivering information, but part of it is recognizing when they're ready to receive it, because if they're not ready to receive it, then we haven't, then we haven't done all that we could to ensure that we are successful. Um, So little little things like that. Yeah. Like I call their name or I always, you know, I always will say to kids, I, yeah, I have something exciting that I want to share. Let me know when you're ready. Yeah. Um, Again. Yeah. Just like honing that feedback loop, but also respecting, like I can see that you might be thinking about something different and I want to allow you that time and space to finish that thought before I need to grab your attention to me. So it also just creates um, just that mutual respect between our attention. I couldn't love that. Which might be different. We always talk talk about the pause, the power of the pause. The the whole, let me know when you're ready thing is so powerful, especially with teenagers. You know, there's, there's times where, you know, I I work at a school twice a week and sometimes I have to take kids out of gym to work with me (laughs) one-on-one. And sometimes it takes them a little while to Mm -hmm. to warm up and to be able to chat and have difficult conversations and get their work done. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, lately I've been doing, look, man, it's cool. I get it. You'd rather be in gym. You'd rather be playing a sport than sitting here working with me and get and and talking about Mm -hmm. your brain and things like that. So let me know when you're ready. Do what mm-hmm. you got to do. Put your head down, relax. You, know, you can't take your phone out. You can't take your computer out. But just let me know when you're ready. Take your mm-hmm. time. Let me know when you're ready. Okay. And nine times out of ten, it works. So, Linda, what do you think? Someone just said, what if they never get ready to listen? What if they <laughs> run off or right. they just don't ever look up from their play? So right. we're probably talking um, maybe about a little bit younger child. But what, what do you think about that? Do we yeah. – what, what would you Well, I, I don't think that's, that's insisting that they meet my agenda and timeline and maybe I'm the one that needs to be flexible in that moment uh-huh. and recognize, you know what, maybe the child needs to move or maybe there's a distraction or maybe they're thinking about something else and I need to meet them better where they're at or maybe like, they think you're um, going to tell them what to do like yeah. maybe they think you're going to give them imperative language right. like you know because they're yeah. used to being mm-hmm. instructed and directed right so you know it could be oh they ran off to play with x y and z then maybe i'll follow them and i would say i can tell you're really interested in that toy and i care about that for you too how about um, you know and then we make a plan uh-huh. together with declarative uh-huh. language so i think in those moments we might need to be flexible and honor mm-hmm. their um, 
just honor their interests at that moment in time and we shift mm -hmm. our attention to better match theirs so that we can connect. Right, Carrie? Yep. I know you said oh, that. Oh, connection. Just yes, connect connection. first and then yep. you can kind of move yep. a little move forward from there. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So the next one. Oh, and I do just have to make a comment, Linda, about number six, the make a repair. Mm -hmm. I love how you say to use a declarative statement to initiate a repair. So you could say something like, um, I wonder if you heard me or I'm not sure you heard me. So if mm -hmm. you say something and there really isn't a response, yeah. um, then one thing you could do is make that, you know, is comment. Yeah. And I think maybe there was a repair, maybe, right. um, uh, yeah, someone just asked, can you watch this later? Yeah, these are all recorded. So yeah, you can just come back to my Instagram page and watch it whenever you have time. It's also available as a mm -hmm. podcast on Apple podcast. And what is it Mike? Spotify, right? Spotify. Are, are you <laughs> yeah. in a, are you in a hotel right now? Me? Yeah. Yep, I am. I'm in Nebraska because oh, I am traveling. Yeah. Yes, oh, I am yeah. in Nebraska. So Very yeah, you cool. love my fancy artwork back there. Isn't this nice? <laughs> yeah. I like um, it. Yeah. Let yeah, me so, just so, add, so add so an one... example related to the repair just to expand on what yeah, you said, Carrie. So um, with respect to processing time, like you're one, if you're wondering if it's processing time after you've waited a little bit, you could also uh -huh. say something like, you know, I'm trying to figure out if you're still thinking or oh. if you forgot what I said. Um, yeah. Or if I can't tell if you are distracted, which is okay if you are, I just need to know it. Or if you didn't hear me or if you're still thinking. Right. So those are some of the ways that we can make a repair that also model that self-advocacy for the child's learning style or vulnerability at that moment in time. And there someone gave is. the example earlier. Uh, I like to say to my son, where are your listening ears? Uh, you know, I, that's, a, that's a pretty popular one. You tend to hear that, you know, in kindergarten. What do you think of that, Linda? Classrooms. It's, I think it's... It, I think go it's going to lead to some dysregulation is what I think it's yeah. going to lead to. And I think it's going to lead to some inattention. I what think... You, yeah. Because, you know, you're saying, where are your listening ears? It's basically like an imperative question. Here, they're either here or they're here, and that's it. That's the right or wrong answer. If yeah. you say something that's more open-ended and flexible and calm and kind, like... I want to make sure you heard me or I'm wondering if you heard me. That's just externalizing your vulnerability. Like I'm speaking, but I don't know if you heard me. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot, it's a lot less anxiety producing than where right. your ears show me. What do yeah. you think Linda? About yeah. I think that focuses on what they're doing wrong rather than yeah. what they're doing. Right. It could be shaming. Um, you know, my ears are right here and I didn't right. hear you for some reason. So help me, yeah. help me learn you know yeah, right. like if that's right. what i would say i would say oh i noticed it was tricky for you to hear me just then let's uh -huh. see what we can do to help you understand what i'm saying right or, right i think if you right. use Whatever. that phrase above five you're gonna get a lot of i heard you like, yeah I got it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah you, know I mean? and you don't want that you don't want you we, mm -hmm. right. one of the big things about, about declarative language is keeping the child regulated not yeah. putting mm -hmm. too much too much and pressure engaged. on them yeah. engaged yeah you know, we, the second they start yelling and get dysregulated, then, yeah. you know, I, I, I think Linda would agree is when we have to take a break, take mm -hmm. a pause, and come back to it. Because yeah. a, dis a dysregulation shows uh, nothing's going to get accomplished here. Right. Yep. And where are your listening ears? It doesn't connect with the child. It doesn't right. connect. You know, you're not Correct. connecting with them. That's all, right. You're just all making right. them feel bad. <laughs> yeah. They feel yeah. bad. These kids feel bad enough, right? They do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Big time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. This is all so fascinating. It really is. So the third reason why kids may not respond to declarative language is because of comprehension problems. So um, it may just be that they, they don't know what to do. Right. So, and I love how Linda, you give an example, maybe you're presenting a new idea. Maybe you're using vocabulary that isn't terribly familiar to the child, or maybe they simply haven't had any experience, you know, with that situation. They, they so it's really um, difficult for them to kind of react in the moment because they're really almost lost because of the difficulty with comprehension comprehension. Do you remember the, um, the uh, example you use on page 73, Linda, could you talk to us about Nick and that example? Oh, Do you remember yes. that? That's, I, I had um, made a note of that because I, this is a video clip that I show often when I do okay. trainings. Um, so basically Nick is in the grocery store, you know, natural environment experiences, varied experiences. All these things are great mm -hmm. for declarative language and learning episodic memory. Um, so his mom, they were putting, he put um, one carton of milk in the shopping cart and his mom 
in her head knew that they needed at least two. So she mm -hmm. said to him, I wonder if one is enough for both you and daddy. Um, and so in that moment, and it's just this beautiful clip, you see Nick look at his mom. So he heard he's, her. Yep, he's totally mm -hmm. quiet mm -hmm. and he's just looking at her. And when I show this clip, I always pause right there because that is a look of uncertainty. So what it is, is in that moment in time, he's experiencing uncertainty, but it's productive uncertainty because it's gonna lead to learning. Um, and, and in that moment, she, she recognizes because their feedback loop is strong in that moment, she recognizes it's uncertainty. She recognizes he doesn't know quite what to do next. So then she guides with more declarative language. I think we should get one for you and daddy, or she says something like, maybe we should get two. Mm -hmm. um, but because he didn't know, he couldn't yet infer from the first statement. So she guided with that additional statement. And then, and then he has that memory going forward. So the next time anybody says, hi, I wonder if that's enough. He's going to be able to pull from that experience and know, oh, I should probably grab another one. Right. Um, but it's right. only because she slowed down in that moment, um, optimized that learning, recognized that uncertainty, and yep. guided rather than quizzed or placed further demands. Right. Because you yeah. said that the, the second declarative statement mom made was maybe you should get one for you and one for daddy. And, mm -hmm. and then he immediately responded by getting another, you know, another gallon, half gallon, whatever of milk. And so it was, it was, he, he gets it now. When someone says, I wonder if that's enough, mm -hmm. he's like, oh, that must mean we need more. It must mean that right. we don't have enough. So, oh, I just, I love these real life examples yeah. um, that, that you put in here. Yeah. And again, it's just like that tight feedback loop in the moment. And we, as the, the guide, not being afraid to pause, to observe, to think about what's going on for the child and then provide additional information based on their feedback in that moment. Yep. Like and, we and, said, and, it's a dance, yep. not a recipe, right? Oh, <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. And I love how you're always, you know, re-bringing up episodic memory. Episodic mm -hmm. memory is, you know, one of those things that you don't really learn about in grad school. And, so, right. and, and it's, it's so crucial to independence and executive functioning. We all have episodic memory, but the ability to pause call on your episodic memory, whether it's nonverbal or verbal, whatever, and use it in the moment to make an informed choice is independence. We do this right. every day on a daily basis, but our young ones, especially in this world they're growing up in, need time to practice using their memories to mm -hmm. make changes at positive and healthy choices in the present moment. Right. I work at a school with, with uh, ADHD and high functioning autism. And what you constantly see is these kids are making the same mistakes every single day. You know, they could, uh, they could be in the lunch period and end up, end up getting lunch detention. And 10 minutes later, you say, okay, why are you here? Why are you in lunch detention? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Why am I here? I have no idea. And it's, and they're not, be, they're not trying to be rude. They're not trying to just not answer the question. They're not connecting the cause and effect. Oh. I got in trouble mm -hmm. because of this memory. So right. it's the ability to use episodic memory in the present moment. That is basically, that's executive functioning in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I love, Linda, on page 74 is how you give an example of an imperative way to respond would be saying, um, you know, what do we need? If one mm -hmm. isn't enough, what do we need? So that would right. be what, you know, we might do is just say, come on, buddy, like how, how many should we get? What do we need? So the problem, and you, you explain this so nicely is um, questions create greater demands. So when we can stay mm -hmm. strong and use guiding comments. So I don't know if you've used this term before to, to talk about declarative language, but I really like that explanation. If we can use guiding comments mm -hmm. to navigate the child through this less familiar event, then you know you're helping them store important memories. I mean, that's just so mm -hmm. beautifully, beautifully said, so beautifully explained. I love it. Yeah. The other strategy you give, Linda, is to add a gesture. And I have to say, that's mm -hmm. something that I think is really helpful. If you're going to try to offer more information, instead of adding more words and changing it and yep. forcing them to reprocess you know, the information, pair it with a gesture that gives them more information about you know, the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, adding a, adding a gesture is huge, just like Carrie said, because you're not 
adding language, which yeah. is that anxiety producing thing that you can do that's going to increase dysregulation. So whether you're pointing or picking something up, these nonverbal cues are so huge because mm -hmm. once again, it directs their attention to your yep. thinking. And that's what, that's what declarative language is all about is, you know, it, it goes perfectly with the, the next book, co-regulation, and you guys sort of co-thinking and co-sharing thoughts. Uh, yeah. So, so a having a gesture is huge. Uh, so like you had here, uh, a kindergarten teacher recently asked for my help. One of her students frequently hid under the table when it was time to work. The teacher made the declarative statement, all the kids are sitting in the chairs to encourage the student to reference the room and know what to what was expected. But the student did not budge. So the student uh, may have may be able to sit in the chair. She may be unsure if she, she'll be able to do what's expected. But by the gesturing of uh, showing her where she can sit and and how she'll be able to be successful without adding more words allowed her to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other example you give about adding a gesture is if you say, I see trash on the floor yep. and the child doesn't respond is you can say, as you point, the trash can is right over there. Right. Yep. So mm -hmm. it's that idea that, okay, we're going to give you more information now, but it's more visual, you know, more gestural information. Yeah. Two things I was thinking about from these examples, um, sometimes with the gesture, like I think it supports comprehension if there's a new word in there um, or a new idea but it also just supports visual referencing um, to the environment. So again, we're asking yes. kids to integrate different pieces of information. We might notice something they don't. So when, mm -hmm. we, when we use a gesture, we, we support that visual referencing, um, but we also um, give them opportunity just to, to remember that visual information is important. Like the less we talk, the more kids pick up their head. You know, it's not that we're gonna be right. silent to the point that it's stressful, but really fewer words supports increased visual referencing because we're showing them that just communication is multimodal. It's not just about the words that we speak. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking, Mike, with the example you just said about the little, the student who was under the table. Mm -hmm. um, so in regards to comprehension, sometimes kids might be stuck you know, because they, they might understand the words that you're saying, but they might not comprehend what's coming next or that comprehension of the future, say, for example. Um, so with that example that you mentioned, like the, the girl was under the table. And so I thought, like, maybe she knew what it meant to sit in her chair. But the part that she was struggling with is, well, what's going to happen after I'm in my chair? Oh, <laughs> like, like, what I don't are know you going to ask yep. for me? Ask Which me leads to anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. And so I had just recommended that the teacher use guiding statements to kind of help her preview. You know, you could say, oh, once you're in your chair, the kids are coloring and I have a crayon here right for you. And if any part of it is tricky, I, I'm here to I'm here for you. I will help I'm here you. to help. Yeah. So yeah. a little bit of preview of what's to come as well as emotional connection to support that child who's feeling anxious in the moment. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I mean, just think about in general, like, I think we all like preparation to know what's coming. Mm -hmm. Like if yep. you're going to ask me to go somewhere right. to a, a get together or an event, the first thing I'm going to ask you is what's going to happen there? Like what's going to be expected of me? Do I have to talk yeah. to people? Cause I really, I mean, I, I always say people laugh when I say I'm an introvert. I don't really mm -hmm. do people. I can talk in front of people <laughs> for my job all day long, but when I'm not on camera or up on, you know, giving a presentation, I love to be alone. I love, I don't need a lot of people. And so mm -hmm. for me, I get so social anxiety like what if I have to go do chit chat like I can talk about speech therapy <laughs> all day long but if I have to go do like chit chat oh, yeah. I need to know what's expected of me like how long mm -hmm. are we going to stay I mean can we leave if I get you know, like I have anxiety so I can only imagine you know what yeah. our what our kids are going through I just have to share I just had one more thought of I didn't even process that I started using declarative language about this but with Aaron I used to say um, put your laundry away because there's a basket and I would just give him that directive right and I realize now in the past couple weeks I have started Started saying your laundry is in the basket and do you know he puts it away every time I have never once had to tell him to put it away I just say your laundry is in the basket mm -hmm. and I the basket always is in the same place like when I get it out of the dryer I don't even fold it anymore I just put it in the basket and there and I just realized that for the past two weeks he has put it away and I've never once said like you need to put your laundry away before you go play mm -hmm. whatever you know what I mean like he's do it's I just kind of get mind blown sometimes. You I'm like, it's down, so build those mm. varied experiences, yeah. created that right. episodic so memory. Right. You got it. Awesome. 
just yeah. makes me smile from ear and it's, to ear. And yeah, and one opportunity at a time. That's all. Yeah, it and is. it's not, and that's, I guess, what, yeah. why the reason I share these when I think of them is because if there's parents on here, I don't want you to think that you have to create new, mm-hmm. like, interactions. Like, I, this is, you just are changing, instead of saying, put your laundry away, which he can fail at, right? Which can send some kids like, I wasn't, I didn't know I had to do that right now. I was going to go and play my video, right? You know, whatever it is, all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they go into this fight or flight mode. Instead, you just tell them your laundry's in the basket. Yeah. It's just totally different. And it's mind blowing that (laughs) I just, I don't know. We're we're looking for our kids to break some of their habits. by that that we see as non-compliance or distracted or whatever so we need to change Mm -hmm. our habits yeah and our linda you say that yeah over and over in this book it's about changing the way we interact with our kids instead of putting all the pressure or the blame on the kids the kids don't listen i talk and i talk and the kid doesn't listen he doesn't follow my directions he's non-compliant blah 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 right this is what we do as parents right we do it as therapists and as teachers too and so you're giving us another way and you're saying no 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 let's step back now and Mm -hmm. i want you to think about about the way you talk to you, to your child, right? Exactly. It's just yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. so and the trust one. and trusting oh, yeah. that they've got it, that they can receive it, that they and, can receive it. You know, you now have you have some tools when it doesn't work right away. Right. Yeah. All right. So the fourth reason why kids may not respond to declarative language is habit. So Linda, talk to us about why um, a habit is going to make it challenging for some kids to yeah. respond. Well, I think we're just doing something different. And everybody's used, you know, we talked about this before, but perhaps those kids are, or individuals are used to being prompted. Um, So it just takes time. It just takes time and faith and trust that we all can make that leap. And it's never too late. Like you're showing with Aaron, it's never too late to change up your speaking style. He's 17, you guys. I'm talking about a four-year-old, right? I'm talking Mm -hmm. about a 17-year-old. So learning something new and giving your brain time to process if you're highly prompt dependent. And for kids who have a diagnosis, Mm -hmm. autism, ADHD, who've been in therapy a lot, do you understand how much we therapize kids? We, We create prompt dependency in direct therapy so much. So giving them that processing time. On page 76, Linda, I just underlined, I love this. Um, It can take time for kids who have been exposed primarily to question asking or directive-based communication their whole life. Mm -hmm. So if that's all they've known, they've just always had people telling them where to sit, telling them where to stand, telling them what to do, giving them commands, you know, constantly, constantly. And now all of a sudden, you're using declarative language and you're just mm-hmm. making comments and you're inviting the child to um, uh, visually kind of explore the environment. And then you're just pausing. They're like, well, I don't know what to do here. This isn't how I normally, you know, this isn't mm-hmm. how our interactions normally go. And so they kind of resort back to, I, I you know, that, that old habit of, I, yeah. I just, I, I don't know how to respond in the moment. And I talk in my book, I talk quite a bit about Christopher and Judy. Yes. Um, you know, and sometimes I wonder if, you know, I, I wonder if Aaron might be like Christopher. Um, but I met him I when, think he so. was, when he was 21, um, you know, and he had been in a residential ADA school, lots of okay. questions, directives. Uh-huh. And Judy just really, really started using declarative language. And he was so quiet at the beginning. And the video clips I have of them at the beginning, it wasn't about him talking. It was just him. Uh, it was about him being connected in the moment to their shared activity and process of whatever they were doing. You know, and you could tell by his nonverbal communication that he was engaged and invested. And yeah. she was using all guiding and declarative statements, not you know, and this is for someone who people thought he needs imperative. And it's like, no, right. he doesn't. He, right. You know, he needs us to change it up for him. Um, yeah. But then over the course of the years that we've worked together, like he is so talkative now. When I see them, he just always has something that he wants to talk about, something that he's thinking about, a memory that he kind of wants to um reflect on. I know in the book, I, I talk about how, and you would both like this, we always meet out in the community. So a I lot of the it. times we go to the PBD Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, they take the train to meet me and, and we go and, um, you what know, a one day. What a wonderful experience. Just Amazing. that great yeah. experience. I'm like, I public. It. It's good for And me, I love how Linda you know? knows that we would yeah. love that. She, like, <laughs> yeah. knows, she knows yeah. our, I know. our message and our language. Yeah. Natural environment. <laughs> yeah. Great yeah. experience. Yes. But I'm right yes. here with you. I think the same way. Yeah. And um, so we were, yeah, one day he just was, he wanted to talk. And it's, and I also just love because part of what 
Judy cared about was just knowing what he was thinking about. Like she mm -hmm. wanted, mm. she wanted to know his innermost thoughts, but right. he didn't necessarily have the language um, mm -hmm. because she embraces and accepts him for exactly who he is. Uh, so he came and was talking about the the billboard or the advertisement he saw at the at the train station, and when I met them, um, he was trying to figure out why. And they had been there in the past when he was young, and he was trying to figure out why the advertisement that day was different than it mm. had been when he visited the train station as a young boy. Oh, wow. So that's what he was trying to figure out. And we were talking about it. Um, but he was just sharing those memories or, or once in the museum, we saw a vase and I think it was, there was a sign that said Athens and he spontaneously started to mention um, a cruise ship to Greece that they had taken when he was like nine. And um, so it's like those memories are there and kids, if they, you know, they might not have the language for it to come out, but if you keep up the declarative language, it will. You're actually like it really, really will. Because mm -hmm. you're modeling that language for yeah. them in the moment, in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Aaron, um, just in the past, gosh, I would say the past year or so, um, he is actually like telling us about things that we didn't know, like things about the way he feels and, and the way Aww. things that he likes. And I'm like, we've never had that kind of conversation. And so mm. it's really neat to see his, his ability to really kind of reflect on episodic memory and actually now be able to pair language with it. I mean, I'm telling you, we still continue. We feel like we continue to get to know our son because yeah. when there is, you know, um, a difficulty with language um, and it, you know, it, 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 it can be tough. And so it is neat to, to, I love that about Christopher that you just, mm -hmm. In the moment because we focus as SLPs so much on mm -hmm. like oh they need to use their language to request and to yep. answer questions and it's all this and I'm like but let's think about what you know most of us if if you and I go you know and have a glass of wine somewhere we're not going to just pepper each other with questions I mean mm -hmm. we're going to actually mm -hmm. you know what do you like to do for fun like that's yep. not something that do we ever ask our kids what do you like to do for fun no we probably ask what'd you do this weekend mm -hmm. so we put them on the spot like you know where they have to think about oh what did I do I nothing so what do they say nothing but isn't it a whole different thing to say, what do you like to do? I mean, wouldn't that be a totally right. different like yep. conversation? It's still a question, I know, but just this mm -hmm. idea that we don't, we shouldn't always feel like we have to, the kids have to prove something, that they have to show us how smart they are in the moment, or that they have to use language only to, you know, convey their, their smartness. I, I, I mm -hmm. really am trying to focus more on just having random conversations with my son, like, yep. uh, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that, aren't, that aren't specific to, to anything. Like, let's just sit down and talk. And mm -hmm. it's so neat because he's getting that it's kind of like Christopher he's getting that ability to do that somebody asked a question what do you do if the other parent in the household like isn't on board or doesn't doesn't understand I will just say my husband knows nothing about declarative language I mean it's not like I'm on I mean, here I'm, yeah yeah well I mean he you know like he knows a lot about speech there because he works you know he and I work together but like I haven't sat down and told him I've kind of told him in the moment what it is and but I mean he's still I, I I'm just saying one parent can be doing it like you know it's not something we have to be like oh if we don't all do it it's going to screw everything up um, I will tell you, I'm learning to use it. I still am not using it as much as I would like because it is a learning process, a learning curve. But mm -hmm. I don't know that I've heard my husband use it at all, but I'm sure we'll have that conversation. So whoever asked that question, don't like stress out and be like, well, I just, I'm not going to do it because if my husband isn't going to do it, then I'm just not going to do it. No, 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 no. Like I think you just take it moment by moment. And in the moment, if it works to use declarative language, and I'll be honest with you, if you model that, for your significant other, your spouse, whoever that, you know, is helping raise your child, um, it will eventually, I think, start to rub off. What do you think, Linda? I mean, can that happen? Yeah, you start where you start. One exchange yep. at a time. You're modeling for the other parent. They'll probably, yep. you'll probably start to see really cool things happen. Mm -hmm. Cool connections, cool yep. problem solving. Then you have that to reflect back on with your partner. So you just... Give it a try. One, so one like I think about like, let's say you're in a hurry yeah. and the family's trying to get out the door because you got to go to church or you got to go to some appointment. And, and, and you know how, and Linda, you say this so beautifully that when you use imperative language the most is when you're in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Like when you're like, we got to, we got to go, we got to go. So in, uh, this is just something I think about where sometimes we as parents say, hurry up, get your shoes. We got to go find your coat. Da, da, da. We could just say something like, I hope we're not late for the movie. 
Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I, I mean, that would be something, yep. a way to change it so that now everybody just knows if this nonsense continues, we're probably gonna be late for the movie, but I don't have uh-huh. to say it in that negative way. I can say, I hope mm-hmm. we're not late for the movie. I hope there are still tickets. I hope we're gonna get the seats that we like. I hope we don't have to sit in the front row. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, you can hope a lot of things and you don't put any demands on anybody. But mm-hmm. so that's what I want parents to start thinking about. And Linda, tell us about your class that's coming up because yeah. if there are parents on who are really do want mm-hmm. to invest in this I want you yeah. to know about Linda's class so tell yeah. us yeah and I can I just answer that question yes. I saw yes. something about intonation just because yes. I think it's important yes your intonation is very important always. you you always want it to be invitational and positive and guiding mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you can make a declarative statement but if you use it in an imperative snippy Tone. way then it's yep. imperative mm-hmm. it's no I hope we're not late for the demand. movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> right and I right. you know and I have heard people do that and I'm like oh that just kind of, of defeats yeah. the purpose of what it we're trying to, to create. Yeah. If you, Linda, before so, you, if, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. just listen to Linda's voice because I am telling you, Linda, <laughs> you have the most soothing, The like you can hear me, I'm like a spaz. Like I am like, I get so excited and I just, and I get an octave higher. And Linda yeah. just has this beautiful, like calm tone. I'm like, she is, I, that, no wonder you're, you're the queen of declarative language because you're able to maintain this. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it because I'm just, yeah. That's all Anyways. about. Yep, yeah. Yeah. All right, Linda, what were you going to tell Thank us? Thank you. Uh, declarative language workshop. So it's an eight week workshop. It begins March 3rd. It's virtual. Um, and we alternate, we meet every Thursday night and we alternate between presenting content and then parents have homework and it's homework review. We review videos or just anecdotes or audio recordings so that parents can really kind of dig in, hear themselves, become more self-aware but learn from each other, celebrate each other's progress. Um, and we will have, we have 15 spots. We won't take more than that just because we want to keep it small enough that everybody gets fair and time. And are there spots open or have you not opened it up? There yet are. Too? So since last week there, uh, I think I had one person so far. And since last week, I think there's eight people now. So there's mm-hmm. seven more nice. spots. Okay. We're um, going to get you filled up. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. But thank you so much for letting me just share that oh, with our I, community. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So chapter um, 12 is just super short. Is it okay if we just try to get through this? Cause it's only like three pages. So let me find it here. I lost my place in the book. Linda summarize chapter 12 for us. Yeah. I gotta find it here. Chapter 12 is just practice sets. So that's pretty oh, easy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Let me actually, I wanted to say one last thing about chapter yeah. 11 and then chapter 12, you know, is no, no uh-huh. big deal. Um, there were some posts that I did back in September. So maybe I'll put them in my stories. Oh, do. Um, yeah. But it's just because I feel like troubleshooting just, it, it, it comes up a lot. People want to know, how do I, how do I figure this out when it doesn't work? So I did um, like three posts in a row just on different ideas on troubleshooting. Um, but it was September 19th, the 26th, and October 3rd. Okay. Um, and just different ideas around troubleshooting and what you can do when declarative language doesn't work. So where do they sign up for the class? Is it declarativelanguage.com? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Yep, so whoever exactly. asked, it's declarativelanguage.com. Yeah. And that's Linda's website or where you can mm-hmm. go and, and get, get signed yep. up. So yep. yes, Sue, I know you asked where that, where they yeah. can do that. So and, um, thank you. Yeah. And it's with Liz, my colleague, Liz Ramirez, who's wonderful. Yeah. So good at declarative language and everything else too. So excellent. Excellent. All right. So yeah, chapter then 12 is just mm -hmm. practice. And so for those of you who are looking for real life examples, um, you know, spend the $10 and buy the book because I promise you won't be disappointed. I mean, I even, I don't know why I highlighted Mm -hmm. it, but I went through because I felt like it was kind of like a little quiz. Like, so I was like, highlight the ones that are declarative. So this would be awesome. So parents, like, I'll just read a couple of them. Sit down. Here's your chair. So like, which one is declarative, right? Here mm-hmm. is your chair is declarative. Um, what should you be doing? How often do we hear that in school? What should you be doing? What should you be doing? Um, let's look and see what your classmates are getting started on. Ooh, look at that, right? Um, your coat is on the floor. Pick up your coat. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if you heard what I said. What did I say? So anyways, I love that you give all of those very good examples. And then on page 81, 
I love this word chart. Mm -hmm. Like these are oh, the yeah. words that you want to be pulling from or that you want to really keep in mind. So you give verbs, you give words that communicate alternatives and possibility, flexible, right? Mm -hmm. Flexible, mental flexibility, inviting pronouns. I love that it's let's or we, you know, I love that you're using those kind of inviting pronouns and then some of the nouns like idea or thought or opinion. So this I think is extremely helpful. So parents, if you're looking, is there stuff like this in your class, Linda? Like, do you kind to go over stuff like this or it's on her website this, too mm -hmm. yeah we have so i give uh for the content that we present in the class i give handouts after so okay. parents definitely or participants definitely get that but yeah okay. thanks Wonderful. mike there's um there's downloads on the website Okay. For the practice. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So people yep. can print them out and have it's so fun. good. So yeah, if parents, if you want to, I mean, literally, like if you sat down with page 80, 81, and then on 82, you know, there's more very, very specific practice sets. I just feel like that is going to be eye-opening, you know, I mean, for parents and what we as SLPs educators can do is use these pages, right. To really um, mm -hmm. explicitly teach like tomorrow, this is the page I'm going to use with the, um, with the educators that I'm consulting with as I, cause like I said, I introduced them to declarative language today and they were a bug eyed. They were like, why have we never heard of this? Like, what is this strategy? And so I started giving examples and they were sort of blown away. I mean, like I said, they all got their phones out and ordered the book and one of them got it on Kindle <laughs> and one of them is like, Oh, I think I can listen audio. I mean, they were just like, going nuts. Um, one of them asked if they could keep the book and read it tonight. And I almost let him. And then I went, no, wait, I have book club tonight. So I said, you can't have it because she's like, I'll give it back to you tomorrow. So that's how excited they were, Linda. But definitely what I'm going to do tomorrow is talk to them about page 80, 81, and 82, because that mm -hmm. will be concrete um, examples for them to really, it's not just, you know, yeah. me talking at them or whatever. It's going to be them being able to analyze and go, mm -hmm. oh, I see the difference now. Declarative, imperative. So Linda, yeah. Thank you again yeah, for writing the book. You. I just And next week we're gonna wrap this baby up. I think we are, aren't we? We can yeah. because one of the chapters, mm -hmm. the last one is just more like uh final words, you know. So I think it'll just be kind of a quick summary. So we'll yep. do thirteen, fourteen and then, you know, just kind mm -hmm. of wrap it up. Yeah. Does that yeah. sound good? Totally. Sounds awesome. the next one. Excellent. Yeah. All right, guys. All thank right. you so much for joining in my lovely hotel room in York, Nebraska. Um, I, I'm going to work here tomorrow and then head back to Kansas City. So anybody Beautiful. rooting for the Chiefs? Big oh, time. So go Chiefs. Let's go. All right. Awesome, guys. All right. You take care. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Yeah. Okay. Have a good night. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Take Bye. care. See ya.